0: Hey guys, this is Craig Hostetler, and I'd like to welcome you to the Black Sheep Experience. This is episode number um, this number seven. This is episode number seven. Forgot for a moment where we were. Hey man, welcome to the Black Sheep Experience. I'm so glad. That you are listening uh, today. All right, man. Uh, been a pretty, uh, a pretty decent week. Had a little bit of trouble um, around the uh, middle of the week. I woke up. I don't know, maybe Wednesday uh, w- or Thursday or Friday. I don't remember what day. Anyway, I woke up with a toothache. Uh, just that, you know, that pulsating, pounding thing and um, sometimes I have that and then it goes away somewhere throughout the day but um, yeah n- not the other day man I I had this just <laughs> horrible pain and uh, you know that kind of pain where you're praying God to either heal me or just take me out and um, neither one of those happened by the way so uh, yeah I'm not sure exactly how- what that means theologically uh, other than I have obviously something really important to say that you need to hear <laughs> but uh yeah no man i uh yeah so i had to go to the dentist and do that whole kind of thing and i don't uh, i'm not particularly fond of that uh anything to do with teeth and and pain um I don't know anyway uh, so I'm I'm doing better I'm all well now I'm sure I'm gonna have to deal with it somewhere down the road but uh, all good today also another thing uh, another correction I want to make you know seven episodes in I'm still tweaking this thing right and I noticed well actually it was brought to my attention that um, when I'm referring to me I am saying we right Like, we would really appreciate it. We want you to go to Facebook. We want you to go to Instagram. And and it means a lot to us, right? I'm I'm, I'm constantly pluralizing uh, myself, which is weird. But I think where that comes from is uh, early on, whenever I became a pastor, I continually referred to the uh, actions of the church um, as myself, right? And I had to learn to... uh, to pluralize all those things so that people felt <clears throat> you know they were being included right so now that I'm doing the podcast I think I'm pluralizing I'm saying uh, we when I mean I and so I did a little thing that I'm trying to correct because this is uh, my podcast <laughs> this is my project and uh, yeah so I have ownership over this and so which is cool man I I I dig it I love podcasting and I'm liking being able to say whatever I want to say because it's my thing but that's a bit of a rabbit trail anyway I'm trying to change that I guess I could when I'm saying we I could say I'm referring to uh, the Father Son and the Holy Spirit and myself right Uh, whatever anyway uh, so yeah before we move into the podcast let me do what I have done habitually over the past six previous podcasts and ask you to do something Facebook Instagram Twitter man jump on there and follow me Uh, (laughs) the black sheep experience you can follow the podcast on any one of those platforms social media platforms Facebook Twitter, Instagram, we're on all that stuff. And so I would, uh, I would greatly appreciate it. Actually, it helps quite a bit um, because it gives the illusion that we have lots of listeners. And so that's what we're going for. Anyway, yeah, if you would do that. And then additionally, uh, and I know I say this all the time and it's quite repetitive, but I would really appreciate it if you would continue to share on your social media platform um, that you're listening to the podcast now you can share the podcast that's easy enough to do right um on whatever uh Whatever engine that you listen to it, if it's on the iTunes or uh, if it's on Podcast USA or if it's on Google Play or any of those kinds of things, uh, or pod, the Podbean app, which is great, you can um, share directly from those onto your social media. Or if there's a, a quote or something that you appreciate from the podcast that you want to share, uh, just say, "Hey, man, heard this quote today." and uh, from the Black Sheep Experience podcast and that kind of thing, Makes a, uh, it's a huge help, it's a huge uh, assistance to us. Additionally, man, we just love to connect with you and uh, there I go with that we thing. I love to connect with you and uh, greatly appreciate all you guys listening. All right, so let's get into today's episode. Now next week, I'm gonna have a guest on the podcast, uh, but this week I'm flying solo, so it's just you and me. Uh, and what I want to do today, uh, you know what, I'm a little more chilled out today than than I typically am. I, uh, you know, it's like 60 some degrees, low 60s, And, um, yeah, I'm kind of feeling that October fall vibe where I'm a little more conversational, you know, need a hot cup of, uh, cider or something. Um, yeah, I, you know, I love summer. Summer's my absolute favorite time of year without question. But, uh, second to that would have to be, uh, probably fall. Fall is so cool, man. And, um, my uh, spouse, my wife, and I usually um, take a vacation in the fall, and just, uh, yeah, we, we love fall, and she really digs it. So uh, yeah, it's such a cool time of year. Anyway, uh, all of that aside, let me start this podcast uh, or this discussion with a poem. I want to I read a poem to you. It's a famous poem, and it has inspired me through the years. Uh, the author is a guy named William Ernest Henley. And the poem was written in, I think, 1875, somewhere around in there. He, um, and what's cool about it is he wrote it from a hospital bed, right? He had tuberculosis and, and some health complications um, with that. And so he wrote this very victorious poem from a hospital bed. And, um, and I really love it. And you, you may recognize it. If not, you will at least recognize uh, probably the last two lines anyway, okay? So the poem is called Invictus, which by the way, is a Latin word. And when you translate that into English, the word is undefeated, okay? So this is the poem Invictus by uh, William Ernest Henley. Out of the black of night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds me and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate. How charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Um, I love that poem, especially, obviously, well, I love the whole thing. But the last two lines, I think, are so powerful. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Now, I realize that this is not a particularly religious poem, okay? But um, if you listen early on to the to the Black Sheep experience, you understand that while religion, or well, Christianity, uh, spirituality maybe is a huge part of who I am. It's a um, well, it's a very important part of. It, it makes up m- much of what I am as a as a person, right? Um, but additionally, I find inspiration also outside of you know Christian literature. And uh, I find it in this poem. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And I think that those words are powerful, and I think that they're important, and they are the precursor for what we are going to talk about today. Um, I think one of the more tragic events that happens in our life, As life is that we never actually moves along. One we get all tangled up in so many webs that, um, that life, that existence, um, the power of our persona, that all gets lost. And it gets lost in, in all kinds of things, um, bills, uh, poorly chosen ambitions, silly, ridiculous uh, lusts, doctrines even, theologies, uh, selfishness. I mean, the list goes on and on. So we get lost in all of that and we lose ourselves in the fray of all of that. We lose um, the point of life. We lose the point of our own existence. We lose the point of God and what His will is and the whole thing becomes something sometimes something misguided, sometimes something ugly, sometimes something really discombobulated and confusing, and sometimes it becomes uh, uh, your life, or, or, or anybody's life for that matter, it, it becomes something really unhealthy. Um, interestingly enough, Baylor University did a study and they discovered that an individual's view of God has a profound psychological impact on one's mental and emotional well-being. That's a quote. So Baylor University did a study and they discovered that one's view of God has a profound psychological impact on one's mental and emotional well-being. So what you think about God and how you define who He is has an effect on your mind and your emotions Uh, interesting and um, frightening concept there because so many of us have so many uh, messed up thoughts and ideas about God so many so many of us have so many uh, I guess ridiculous ideas about God fear-based ideas about God that um, this study um, I, I guess it's unnerving Because what you think about God, the way you define God, the way you perceive God to be is having a psychological and an emotional uh, impact on your existence. So what you think about God and how you define who He is has an effect on your mind. It has an effect on your emotions. Um, Additionally, the university uh, also discovered that one's views about God can predict the presence of certain psychiatric symptoms. Um, So, and I'm gonna read a quote here. So those who believe in a punitive God almost always are certain to have more anxiety and paranoia and similar symptoms. Those who believe in a benevolent or loving God are most often associated with fewer psychiatric symptoms, greater peace and stability. interestingly enough, um, this holds true to uh, to prayer as well. Um, if one is unsure, still quoting by the way, if one is unsure of one's connection with God or is even trying to avoid God and this can be done consciously or subconsciously out of fear or because they think God is angry with them, there will actually be a result of increased anxiety and stress when they pray. If one sees their connection with God secure, they believe God is loving and benevolent, there was shown to be a decreased anxiety and related symptoms when that individual prays. Now, this is really, to me, man, this is, absol- this is really amazing. Uh, to me, this is really interesting. And I want you to think about this for just a moment. The incredible impact uh, that this has really uh, perhaps provides insight, excuse me, provides insight to some of the issues that you struggle with. The overwhelming emotional, psychological, subconscious, physiological impact your view of God has on your entire incarnation, right? Your entire life, it affects every single area of your life. It affects how you move about your day. It affects how you see yourself, how you see your children, how you see the world. It moves into every area of your persona. There is not an area of your life that is untouched by your views and definitions of God. Major wars have been fought. Simply over a difference of definitions of God. So your life, man, um, your life, which is this incredibly important and meaningful and divine things, uh, a thing, um, many times is defined by your idea of God. And in so many cases, it seems like the inspiration of the Bible is set to pivot us, uh, to center us in love, in security, uh, in mercy, also in hope and in confidence. But religion continually attempts to get in the way of that. It attempts to define God as this vicious, vindictive, angry, frustrated, uh, I guess, (laughs) fear-inspiring entity, being. And so many of us, and probably many of you listening, you have grown up with this idea of this very angry and frustrated God. This God who, um, I mean, for some of you, and I'm gonna deal with this here in just a few minutes, for some of you, you believe in a God who, before the very foundation of the world, chose individuals to burn in hell forever. Others of us, um, you and I, perhaps we um, found religion in a church somewhere, and, Uh, There were portions of that that were very good. There were portions of that that were very healthy. And then there were portions of that that were entirely fear-based. They taught this very angry, upset, uh, somewhat caustic, um, even perhaps unstable, I think is a good word, version of God whom uh, we were to believe loved us with this kind of love that doesn't compare to anything in the world, and yet at the same time, um, at the slightest provocation, the slightest act of disobedience would drive this God that loves us so much um, into absolute rage and wrath and bring all kinds of you know hell really into our lives. and perhaps, we didn't get things straightened out at the end of our lives, would throw us into hell. Um, and from that platform, many of us have and are still really living our lives. The writer uh, Paul is constantly painting, um, he's, a, he's an apostle, he wrote Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, 1st uh, and 2nd Timothy, a great deal of the New Testament. And to me as I read the writings of Paul, it seems that he is constantly painting for us this picture of a loving and merciful God. Paul is the guy who writes things like uh, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and, you know, what can separate us from the love of God? And and he writes all these really powerful, very centering, very grounded things about God and the love of God um, and the grace and the mercy of God. Paul writes uh, all these great things about God's grace, his presence, his power, uh, when he talks about the love of God, he talks about how it reached out to us first and um, you know all these great things. And then Jesus, of course, he invites us to believe in a God that loves the world so much that um, he decided to do something about the sin issue by sending his son, right? Um, and that that God the Father cares for us and all these kinds of things. The writer of first John, who I think, um, in my own opinion, he really poems this uh, in a very complete and encompassing way. In fact, um, people often ask me, what's your favorite verse in the Bible? And I have to tell you that's, I don't have a favorite because there's so many great passages in the Bible. but this would, this would rank pretty high, okay? And this is First John chapter 4 um, 16 through 18, really. And this is what it says. And we know and rely on the love of God. I'm sorry. And we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Um, I, I'd like you to think about that one for a second. I mean, that that's a powerful, especially that last section. Um, perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Now I want you to understand what the writer is saying here. He's saying those of you that, that still exist in fear, those of you that still operate in fear, those of you that still approach God in fear, those of you that view your lives through a fear-based theology, a fear-based mentality. Um, those of you that still view God as this fear-based entity, you're not yet made perfect in love. You have yet, you know, the Apostle Paul at one point writes that he prays that we, uh, it was such a great passage, uh, he prays that we could receive in our inner being the revelation of God's great love. Um, that's what this writer is saying essentially that um, we can have confidence, that we can have peace, that we can rely, and, and this is, uh, I think, really powerful. If you could meditate on this, and if you could allow this to sink into your, you know, your spirit, as we would say in the, uh, in the Christian vernacular, but really, if you, I think if, if you were to say this in everyday language, if you could allow this to sink into your mind, into your conscious and your subconscious mind, into your soul, right? Uh, and so we know, and this part's the part I'm talking about, we rely on the love God has for us. You know, for a lot of us, to rely on the love God has for us, that's a foreign concept. Um. We can't fathom, well, I mean, I'm there, but at, at one time, certainly I couldn't fathom that. You know what? I say I'm there. I'm, I'm working on getting there, but I'm doing better than I, than I was before, right? Um, to rely on the love God has for us because perfect love, which is the the love that God has for us, drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment, but the one who fears is not made perfect in love. It's such a powerful uh, text. But notice, obviously within this text, you can resist this kind of love. You can uh, choose alienation, you can choose isolation, you can choose selfishness, uh, lack anger, all sorts of fear, condemnation, damnation. You can absolutely allow your heart to grow cold and uh, to grow rigid. Uh, And dude, I've been there when life has not treated me well, uh, when I felt ripped off by God. A good friend of mine did a, um, he did a video about this where he talked about being bitter or better essentially. Um, But the, but the, the context was, that you can choose. Um, You can choose things that aren't love or grace or empathy. You can choose anger. You can choose fear. You can choose damnation, condemnation. You can choose to believe in a God that uh, we call love, but has absolutely nothing to do with the attributes of love. Or, You can choose to rely on the love that God has for us. Um, There are choices, there are paths we select, we walk, we construct, we absolutely choose. Um, A couple of my favorite lines from the poem that I shared at the beginning of the podcast are, I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul. Uh, In the book, Um, what's in the Bible by Rob Bell. He has this chapter called, What About Predestination? And he starts the chapter off with a recollection of a time he was speaking. And uh, during the question and answer section, a man asked, is your God big enough to predestine some people to hell because of divine wrath? And this begins the chapter, right? Which then springboards from that moment into uh, Rob's ideas about what predestination is, what election is, and um, how that's defined biblically, the Greek breakdown of that word, uh, and socially how it would have been framed in the time it was written in. Um, And then the chapter concludes, so he goes through that, he begins the chapter with... um, This question, is your God big enough to predestine some people to hell because of divine wrath? And then he goes through this entire diatribe, which is uh, very interesting. And then he concludes the chapter this way. Oh, and that guy who stood up and asked that question? My answer was no. So this guy, the funny part about this is, in case you don't know any uh, profound, um, articulate theologians, they always come up with these questions that require, or that brings with it the expectation of some huge theological dissertation, right? Um, About why you believe what you believe, and I get that all the time. But um so this guy asks that kind of loaded question and the response is a one word answer, no. And I man, I love that because I existed one time uh in that space where everything, all your beliefs had to be so well defined that if there were any cracks or openings in there, oh man, you just get ripped apart. And um now I have the luxury of saying, nah, I think that's stupid, <laughs> just moving on, right? Um, so, it implies that the conversation really, I guess, what I took away from it anyway, is that the conversation is really just a waste of time. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit the overall narrative of the Bible. And you've heard me talk about this a lot, the meta-narrative of the Scripture, translating, in fact, John Scott talked about it last week, um, translating uh, the Bible through the Jesus hermeneutic, right, where everything gets translated through who Jesus is, right? When when the Bible says that he is the image of the unseen God, what it's saying to you and I is all the um, confusion you may have about God, all the different ideas there, there may be about God are wrapped up in this, that Jesus and what he was and who he was and the way that he acted, the love, the grace... Um, Accepting Peter after he had denied him three times, loving the sinners, eating at the home of tax collectors, um, embracing all kinds of people, that's who God is. And so if there's any confusion, if there's any argument, Jesus is the image of the unseen God, right? That's what the, that's what the scripture, that's the implication of that. So many times um, when words like election and predestination arise in the Bible, and all of them are pretty nondescript, um, oftentimes they're translated or defined in a way that doesn't fit the narrative of the overall story, and man, that's critically important. Um, Not to mention that those ideas negate the idea of living. Um, the power of living, that life is a choice. You have to say that um, we leave too much room for God to do things He never promised to do. We leave too much room for God uh, to do things He never promised to do. We want God to live certain sectors of our life that God never promised to live. Uh, There is not a divine force that has predestined us for failure, for sin, for addiction, for divorce or cancer or polio or whatever. There's not a divine force that has written an unalterable text which ends uh, with you, me, or some sad soul burning forever uh, in unquenchable fire. Uh, Such an author would be negligent more than that. Um, Such an author could clearly be labeled as sadistic. God before time began did not choose you to have a horrible existence. God before time began did not author some, uh, some of us for sex slavery. He did not write into the life of some innocent child cancer or abuse. Or molestation or kidnapping, or whatever kinds of hell can be unleashed on the earth, God before time began did not pin into the lives of individuals, uh, uh, decapitation or pain. God did not write the unalterable ending of a life with the phrase, and then they burn in hell forever dude that that's sadistic um. It's unconscionable. It's inexcusable. It's about as far from divine as you can possibly get. That is not what life is. That is not what you are. And that is not what God is. I believe a great deal in the choice of life. We, you and I, choose our paths. Um, we choose to love or we choose to hate. We choose to be moral or we choose to be immoral. Uh, we choose God and the way that He says to live or we choose or we reject Him essentially and we choose some other brand of philosophy. Um. We can choose to be as empathetic and um, charitable as we want, or we can choose to be as selfish, self-serving, vindictive as we want. We choose God or we reject Him. We choose faith or we choose doubt. We are the author of our lives, and our lives are this to me, our lives are this very powerful and precious thing. They are not some scripted event by God that ends um, with us either going to heaven or burning forever in hell um, with no absolutely no choice of our own and I realize that for some their theology on this, you know they have all the questions answered, which is to me absolutely frightening. Um, I know for some of you, you have devoted your life to this type of theology, and um, <laughs> in your mind, if one part of the theology doesn't fit, well, then hell, the whole thing doesn't work, and it's all a big farce. And man, that that is absolutely insane, because life is unscripted, and God is unscripted, and our troubles are unscripted, and... You know, the things that occur from day to day, absolutely unscripted. I mean, who knows? God didn't foreordain somewhere in the, uh, well, whatever you want to call it, before time was, before the earth was, God didn't say, you know what? On such and such day, Craig is going to wake up with this horribly, uh, 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 you know, this horrible pounding uh, sensation and I'm gonna make this tooth have an abscess. I'm gonna, I mean, come on, man, it's, 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 it's ridiculous. And I'm not saying that God doesn't allow some things to happen so that we learn from them. I'm not saying that God doesn't use circumstances and situations so that we learn from them. I'm not saying that. But to say that God authored, penned onto an unalterable page divorce that tears a family apart that rips out the heart of an individual and causes them intense pain and and a sensation of betrayal and all the things that come along with that. Does that sound like the author of someone who loves you? Does it sound like the words of someone who has agape? You know, there's a word in the Bible. There, there are several times within the text that the... Um, Writers of the, well, the translators, perhaps, um, chose not to alter the original Greek. One of those is uh, Eli, Eli, Sabachthani, you know, and my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The other one is the word Abba. Um, It's such a powerful word that the translators chose to leave the original text present because we don't really have a word for it in english but this kind of a father is compassionate and caring and empathetic and present and loving and faithful and um it's a god who's for us not against us it's a god that continually fights for us for our attention for our love for our spirit, for our conscious, our subconscious, all those kinds of things. And the translators left that original text present. I believe, and I'm, I'm working on this, quite frankly, I'm trying to receive and, and facilitate, assimilate, I guess maybe, this into my life. God loves me in an immeasurable way. God loves you in a way that you can't possibly comprehend with your own intellect and, um, your life is not this scripted event. Listen to me. If you are an individual that believes in, in predestination to that level, that you have no choice, um, That every decision, including where you spend eternity, is somehow scripted by God before you were ever even born. Um, I wish that you could move away from that. I wish that you could move into the wonder, the spontaneity, the power, the beauty of what life really is. It's this beautifully unrestrained, untethered thing where we have the opportunity to choose the kind of person that we're going to be. We have the opportunity to choose what kind of life we're going to live. You know, um, there have been times in my life when I was uh, felt very ripped off and and cheated and even maybe like God wasn't there for me, which I think is a very natural response when trouble comes. And for a season, I chose bitterness. For a season, I chose anger. For a season, I chose frustration. For a season, I chose... <coughs> excuse me. Um, bitterness, essentially. And that was my choice. But then as time went on, um, I began to... To experience and realize I guess the misery that that choice uh, brought the depression that that choice brought and now I'm definitely in a season where I am trying to open myself up to absolute love a love that permeates every um, I guess crack and crevice of my being and begins to transform the way I view myself, the way I view the world, the way I view um, people outside of, of me, uh, even people that I disagree with or people that um, are different than I am. I, I'm, I think I've moved into a season, and I'm probably not successfully, but I've moved into a season where um. I want love to be the way. I want it to be the way that I live. I want it to be the way that I view the world. All those kinds of things. Um, Simone Vale, who um, was a, uh, a spiritualist, uh, a philosopher, she um, claimed to be Catholic, but certainly had some ideas outside of what we might call Orthodox Christianity. Um, there's a great quote by her, and I, and uh, some of you um, theologians out there will discredit uh, the last 40, 45 minutes of what I've had to say uh, because I'm quoting her, but I, I love this. It's from her writing Gravity and Grace, and this is what she has to say, God's love for us is not the reason for which we should love Him. God's love for us is the reason for us to love ourselves. And I think that that's absolutely true. It reminds me of the psalmist when he says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. All your works are wonderful, I know that full well. The writer is saying, God, um, I I am quite a creation that, that you've made here. I'm really something spectacular and this existence, this incarnation that is me should be celebrated and it should be loved and should be experienced and Um, expanded and you know all those kinds of things and and friends I guess uh, that's the point your life if we go back to the very beginning of this whole thing to William Ernest Henley who wrote this poem in 1875 and the words still resonate to us today Um, I am the master of my fate I am the captain of my soul You've been given an incredible gift, which is life. You've been, an incredib- you've been given an incredible, um, powerful, beautiful work of art, which is you. My hope is that you would express that that you would express the creation that you are, that you would express the power that you are, that you would express the thought process that you are, that you would explode into the world with the ideas that God has given to you and that you would celebrate even um, your own very existence. So, I guess maybe that's kind of the long way around all of this and I I know I've been pretty wordy today and I've been pretty relaxed and I've let feelings flow but um after all it is my podcast <laughs> so I guess man what I what I want to do is just um I believe in the power of life. I believe in the power of choice. I believe that God created us. I believe that God placed us on the planet. But that at that point the pen gets handed over and we begin to really write the story of our life. We begin to really write the legacy of who we are. We begin we determine well, I don't, I'm not big on uh, eternal fates because I think, um, well, you know what I think. <laughs> if you don't, go back a few podcasts. Uh, I think that we're more involved in the process of life. I think our existence is the beginnings of a, bu- uh, of a beautiful poem, really, that we're given the opportunity to pen the rest of the page. Yeah, I I think that. I think our lives are the beginning of a beautiful poem that we have the opportunity to pen the rest of the page. And I encourage you to live. I encourage you to experience. I encourage you to explore. I encourage you to accept love, to accept life, to accept the God who made you wonderful, right? Like the psalmist says. I mean, that's scriptural. Um, yeah, man. So that's it, dude. That 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 is that's my thought process today. That, that's where I'm at today. Those are the things that are on my heart, and um, very unscripted, very uh, just kind of, I guess, uh, rambling. And uh, perhaps it'll come across that way, I don't know, on the uh, podcast, it doesn't really matter. Uh, this is really what I wanted to do today, to, to rebut the idea that our lives are predestined in such a way that we don't have choice, in such a way that um, we don't author any portion of our lives, because I don't think that. I think that there's a, uh, I think, well, I've already told you what I think. Um, God began the poem, handed us the pen to fill out the rest of the page. And then in the end, um, we go back to be with the Lord, right? All of us. So uh, God bless you, man. I really appreciate you listening today. Listen, uh, I've said it before. going to say it again. Jump on Instagram. Uh, jump on Twitter. Jump on Facebook. Tell me what you think of episode number seven, uh, which I don't even have a name for <laughs> right now. We'll see what that ends up being, but... Um, Man, let me know what you're thinking. Let me know your thoughts. If anything um, was encouraging to you, man, post that uh, so everybody can see it. And yeah, man, that's it. All right, guys. God bless you. Have a great week. Done.